millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's, and leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Tragically, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of these incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. Please set yourself reminders on your cell phone or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child. Always look for your baby before you lock. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and information about the weather and climate, all the things that you need to weatherproof your life. We go season by season, so this is episode number two of our summer 2021 series. And wow, what a warm-up, especially in the Northeast after that really substandard Memorial Day weekend with chill and rain. Then we went in the opposite direction for the first full weekend of meteorological summer in the Northeast and the Great Lakes with all that heat and humidity. Meanwhile, out west, things are still baking. Still got some rain and drizzle up in the Pacific Northwest. We'll get a full look at the weekend and the week beyond weather with Brandon Buckingham in our final of three segments. But in segments one and two, a couple of things that I know you've been talking about, probably want to hear more about. One is the cicada situation. We highlighted that about three or four weeks ago in our spring series, but we're going to have Dr. Jim Fredericks back on to talk about what the cicadas are doing and how much longer some areas will have to deal with it. And we'll also be visiting in the garden with our own gardening expert, Brian May. He'll be by to give us some things now that we've gone from the spring season into the heart of summer in the garden. What are some things that we should be thinking about? And then Brandon Buckingham will be by to talk about that weather for the weekend and the week beyond. Friends, sit back, relax, and take a listen. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. If you go back to the 10th episode in our spring series, the episode that dropped on May 14th, you will get a very in-depth talk from our next guest, Dr. Jim Fredericks. He's a board-certified entomologist. He received his BS in biology education from Millersville University, went on to get a master's and then a doctorate, a PhD in entomology and wildlife ecology from the University of Delaware in 2012 and has been with the National Pest Management Association. They run pestworld.org. They kind of help you get information about how to deal with pests across the nation. Now, while the cicada isn't necessarily a pest, it certainly is something that we've had to deal with. And wow, in the news, we've been seeing the effects in D.C. I think uh, President Biden had to swat a cicada off of himself as he got ready to board a plane for that European trip to the G7 summit. I know the plane of the journalists who were going with the president, uh, a following plane actually was delayed for several hours because of cicadas. I was watching the Memorial Golf Tournament over this past weekend in Columbus, and you can hear the cicadas in the television broadcast for sure. Now, here in central Pennsylvania, we still haven't gotten them yet. They haven't been making their way up through Philly or to New York, so I wanted to check in with Dr. Fredericks and see where we are in the situation and whether or not my hypothesis that that cold, rainy Memorial Day weekend in the Northeast has slowed the emergence down. 
Jim, it's great to have you back on the program. Uh, we talked uh, several weeks ago in the in the midst of our spring series, getting ready for this grand emergence of brood X cicadas. And all of a sudden, the weather, I think, threw a little wrench into things with that extremely chilly and wet um, Memorial Day weekend for the Great Lakes and into the Northeast kind of seemed like to me that it put a, a kibosh on the advancement of, of these uh, critters in terms of where they were emerging. But I've seen some evidence now that that's starting to pick up again here in the last week or so. I, when I turned on the um, the Memorial Golf Tournament from Columbus, Ohio over the weekend, it was very evident in their audio feed that the cicadas were out. I was just down to D.C. a couple of weeks ago and they hadn't started in mass yet, but I think D.C.'s getting it now from what I understand the last week. I'm reading a lot of reports about the, a lot of complaints on there. So is that the good premise, Jim, that it did slow down a little bit in terms of the emergence because we need to have that certain soil temperature and that was kind of delayed a little bit because of that cold, rainy weather we had over Memorial Day? I think that's, I think that's exactly what happened. Uh, in fact, it's almost a two-part temperature uh, thing going on. The soil temperature was part of it, but even in places where the cicadas had begun to emerge, when we saw those temperatures that were, you know, in the 40s and even cooler in some places, um, that's not good for cicada activity. Cicadas, just like all insects, are cold-blooded, and so they depend on warm temperatures in order to just be active, let alone fly or look for mates. So they were kind of in survival mode. So I think that probably pushed back emergence in some areas by a week or so and activity in the same way. But as you mentioned, uh, we're located here in Fairfax, Virginia, which is just outside of D.C., part of the D.C. metro area. And I think we are probably close to our peak. It is loud in many places. There, the, the ground in some places is carpeted with, with cicadas. And so there, there's plenty of cicadas here. And that was that was an, an onset, right? It, because, like I said, I was just down there a couple of weekends ago. This, I mean, it, it, it went boom there, I guess, then in the last week or so. Uh, yeah, and it's probably the last two weeks. And it's, but that's the magic of cicadas, right? They emerge all at once. Right. So that's, and then they can overwhelm their predators. And, and that's what we're seeing. The local uh, weather here was talking about cicadas uh, on the weather radar. Uh, we had some viral video that we saw as President Biden was making his way to Europe uh, on the tarmac at uh, at Andrews Air Force Base and brushing cicadas off him that had landed on on the president. So there- when I, I also think President Biden got away OK, but then the press plane for that trip was delayed because of cicadas. I think they got into the, the mechanics of the airplane and they couldn't take off. So the press pool for that trip was delayed by several hours, I think, is what I read. That's ex- exactly right. So these cicadas that maybe were slowed down a little by the weather are seeking all the press and attention they can right now. <laughs> they're certainly when they're here, they make themselves known. And, you know, I've been using the the app that we we talked about a little bit last time. It's called Cicada Safari. And when I, you know, kind of pull it up here now, you know, here in where I live in State College, it seems like we're kind of getting close um, seems like Harrisburg area is starting to make their way up and emerge around York, Lancaster, Harrisburg. Just talked to some friends. Philly hasn't quite seen it yet. The, you know, the maps that I see, Philly's on one of those places where maybe on the edge of Brood X. And it's also in a place where there's a lot of broods that intersect, it seems, in that Philly area. So um, it looks like Philly and and Pennsylvania and up towards New York City are probably the areas here in the next week or so as we continue to reap the benefits of what has been a really warm week here in the past week or so get going here. 
Yeah, and I think that's exact. That's following the pattern that we would expect with the cicadas emerging first in the south, and then uh, kind of seeing a wave moving north, and just corresponding with with the temperature. And I know you, I know that Pennsylvania must be very close right now because uh, here in uh, Northern Virginia and Maryland, uh, we're seeing plenty of cicadas. Again, let's go through. We we talked and and you know, went through the life cycle of what they do. What is the cycle of your cicada experience here in this cyclical part? I mean, in the late summer, I mean, it seems to drag on those those seasonal cicadas, the ones that come out every year towards the end of summer. They seem to kind of take their time and are around for several weeks. This is, like you said, a pretty concentrated two week period where they're going to come out, emerge and be at their peak and then kind of wane off in your area. You will likely see a two or three week peak cicada time when they're just everywhere you look, you know, everywhere, you know, you walk outside and it's, it's extremely loud, but the entire emergence probably takes place over the course of six weeks with at first there's an emergence and then the critical mass and, temp- and air temperatures uh, are warm enough for them to be active. That's when the males will start singing, they'll start chorusing and calling for females. Uh, those females will then uh, begin laying eggs. And then after six weeks or so, then they all just die off. And all we are left with are the, the hatching eggs and the nymphs that find their way underground for another 17 years of feeding. Pretty crazy stuff when you think about it. Uh, and again, just this idea that, you know, we're talking about this is the the big brood. Um, we, we use designations of uh, Roman numerals. So this is brood X or brood 10. But some areas can have multiple broods uh, for the cyclical cicadas early. In the, and I think uh, when I looked at the map, I think where we live, we have like two or three broods that come out. But again, this is the uh, granddaddy of them all. And while it may not uh, be the timing we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago, it does look like uh, we're continue to see that advancement off to the north and east. We're talking with Dr. Jim Fredericks uh, from uh, our friends at PestWorld.org or the N- uh, National Pest Management Association. And uh, Jim, you know, coming up here just a couple of weeks here in summer is National Mosquito Control Awareness Week. That's coming up June 20th through 26th. Now, I was camping in the Poconos of Pennsylvania and I was getting bitten already here uh, in early June. Uh, It seemed a little early to me, but some of the flies and mosquitoes seem to be biting already. Just some thoughts as we get ready for National Mosquito Control Awareness Week of some things here where it's already been wet this early summer, where we can do some things to mitigate problems with mosquitoes. It, it can be a health crisis because mosquitoes do spread disease and problems and certainly should be something that we think about taking care of. Mosquito populations and mosquito pressure is going to be closely tied to wet weather. Um, you know, we typically think of mosquitoes as being, you know, the flying, biting mosquito that, that bothers you on your camping trip or, or at, the, at, a, at a picnic or your, you know, 4th of July watching the fireworks. The mosquito life cycle is not, um, is not completely airborne. The eggs, the larva, and the pupa of mosquitoes all develop in the water. And so uh, standing water of any kind is going to be a concern. Now, different species of mosquitoes develop in different kinds of standing water. But you can do some things around your backyard that can help to reduce mosquito populations right there at your home, uh, which I think is really important. Yeah, it eliminate. And I and I had a spot where I wasn't even thinking about the water was collecting. And the next thing I know, I went over to that area and I was just getting bit. And I was like, oh, that's why there's this 
there's this tub that I totally forgot about that had, had a bunch of standing water and I wasn't thinking about it. So yeah, just maybe a little accounting here over the next couple of weeks where, uh, especially before a big uh, shower thunderstorm situation where you might be getting places where the water would collect. When you think about it, you can do a simple survey of your own property to find you know, some of these places that might be surprising for you. Uh, so, you know, we often hear, uh, you know, uh, water collected in old tires, right? And there are certainly some properties that have old tires, uh, but tires are notorious for being difficult to get water out of. But so if you do have a tire swing in your front yard, drill a hole in the bottom of that thing and let the water drain out of it. But even children's toys, you know, buckets, flower pots, place that often people don't think of are gutters. Gutters, yeah. They get clogged, right? right? Yeah. Uh, you have standing water right above your head around your house uh, that can that can mosquitoes can breed in. Anything that's going to hold water for more than five days ought to be either eliminated or dumped out because as the temperatures get warm, uh, the mosquito life cycle is going to shorten. And some mosquitoes are able to complete their entire life cycle from egg to adult in as little as a week. And so finding those things and removing them from your property is going to be really important to help reduce the populations right there. Wait, do that. Say that again. Their life cycle from egg to adult is less than a week. If the temperatures are right. So again, this is kind of circle back to this idea of insects being cold blooded animals in cooler weather. Uh, the life cycle will, will be extended, right? So that it takes longer as for them to develop and their activity is slowed down. But as soon as it gets to be 85, 90 degrees, that life cycle for some species like this, like the species that transmits yellow fever and Zika virus and chikungunya and dengue fever can be compacted into as little as a week. Wow, that's 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 incredible. So definitely something to keep on your mind. Again, uh, National Mosquito Control Awareness Week taking place June 20th through 26th. A lot of great information on pestworld.org. Um, the other thing, Jim, is, you know, this is the time of year when I start seeing the, well, the pollinators are out, but then also the more destructive and dangerous kind of the things that are in that category, uh, you know, yellow jackets and wasps and hornets starting to get uh, a little antsy and starting to get uh, looking for homes. That's something you really need to keep an eye on because um, I've been in a situation where just all of a sudden you look around and there's a wasp nest that is as big as your head and you've got problems, right? So it's something that you should keep an eye on here as you go through the next couple of weeks where these things may be trying to build a nest. And that's part of the kind of doing your own pest survey uh, right there on your property. And so if you do suspect that there is a a hornet's nest or some yellow jackets nesting in the ground or in the the wall of your of your of your home, we recommend when it comes to stinging pests, you call a pro. Stinging insects in the United States send more than uh, 500,000 people to emergency. Yeah, it's it's no joke. And, 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 And a lot of people don't know whether they are allergic or not until they get stung. And then sometimes it can be too late for devastating effects from that. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, there are some other things that you can think about with seeing seeing insects, uh, in addition to kind of keeping an eye out for uh, potential nesting sites or where you believe a nest might be. Uh, But, you know, as we approach, you know, picnic season, barbecue season, make sure food's covered because Mm -hmm. uh, wasps and hornets will be attracted to you know, some hamburgers or hot dogs that are left on the uh, on a picnic table, uh, but then also serve drinks in in cups as opposed to cans. 
because uh, these stinging insects, yellow jackets are notorious yep. for climbing right inside that can and you take a sip. And next thing you know, you have a yellow jacket in your mouth. We had a neighbor who I called an uncle, but he did that. He had a, we had a beverage out in a can and he took a swig and there was a bee in there and it was stinging him all the way down as he was swallowing it. It was not fun and not a good thing. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, something you need to keep uh, an eye on. Anything else pest and insect wise, other than the things that we've talked about that we want to be thinking about here as we head uh, right into the heart of summer here, Jim. Anything else that we didn't talk about that you'd like to bring up? One other thing I think would be important to note is it's also termite season. Oh, yeah. The fact that termites will feed on homes and, you know, any, any kind of wood, but we're in particular, we're concerned about homes, right? This is swarm season right now. So as these temperatures rise, uh, termites will be swarming. And that's probably the most likely time that a homeowner will know that termites are present in their home. So termites typically in our in, in, subterranean termites are the most common termites in the U.S. Live in the soil. They build mud shelter tubes up into the up into the building. They feed on wood, uh, cellulose. Then once a year, typically they will swarm out. So you'll see uh, quote unquote flying ants uh, that are sometimes flying termites, and that could be an indicator that uh, termites might be in your home. So it's a good idea to have a termite inspection performed on your home once a year or so, because uh, uh, pest control pros are trained to identify the, the telltale signs of termites in a home and find some solutions. You know, I know where I live, we have problems with carpenter bees in the in the spring. Does that and their holes and things, does that lead to problems with other insects or is that just each insect is kind of creates their own problems and keeps the <laughs> keeps those problems to themselves? Does, I don't know <laughs> if that made sense in that, that kind of question. It, I think it does. And, you know, insects, they're, they're, you know, there's insects are extremely abundant and insects are uh, each have their own niche, right? Their, their own thing that they focus on. So carpenter bees, well, you know, they're really pretty amazing, but they're considered wood destroying pests and can do some substantial damage if the, if the wood is left untreated. Uh, carpenter bees are, are making those holes in the wood and those tunnels inside the wood to lay their eggs for their young. Carpenter ants, on the other hand, are excavating inside wood just simply for galleries to house their colonies. Termites are actually eating the wood. <laughs> so there are a number of different wood destroying pests that could be uh, uh, that could be invading your home. Uh, when it comes to those uh, carpenter bees that you mentioned, they can actually also be important pollinators, um, visiting flowers. And so the uh, best bet is to just make sure that any uh, any wood surfaces are painted or finished. Uh, because carpenters will not drill through finished or painted wood. And that'll, that'll give you some protection. They'll find somewhere else to go. I, I actually had good luck with traps the last couple of years where, you know, I could get the carpenter bee in, uh, you know, that contraption and then take it over across the field and get it away. I didn't destroy it, but it did seem to kind of uh, keep them more in check this year. I don't know. Carpenter bees are, are not likely to sting you, but there are bumblebees also that look just like Right. Carpenter bees that don't live in the wood and they will sting you. So if there are concerns, you know, our, we are always recommending to to call a pro when it comes to stinging insects because you don't want to get in trouble with these things. Jim, we appreciate your insight, your guidance. Uh, it will be interesting to see those of us uh, in the footprint of Brood X who will uh, get that uh, whir of a gen engine sound in the trees here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, thanks for your updates. And we appreciate your time here on Everything Under the Sun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
So again, we'll be tracking to see if those cicadas start emerging a little bit farther north and east into the uh, northeastern part of the country where we expect Brudex to be here in the next couple of weeks. You can follow along. Cicadasafari.org is the place that you can go to get information about that app that you can track. And of course, uh, you can visit Jim and his website, uh, pestworld.org. Org is a great place to get all the information that you need, not only about cicadas, but other pests as well. We're going to head into the garden. Brian May from AccuWeather, one of our um, great broadcasters in charge of our broadcast operations, and also a gardener himself, does some uh, work for people. He's our gardening expert. He joins me up next to talk about early to midsummer gardening tips. You're listening to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back. You're listening to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host, and I'm uh, proud to be joined by a gentleman who's been with AccuWeather just as long, in fact, a few months longer than I have, uh, coming up on 23 years, but Brian May not only has been a a stalwart of our broadcasting division, he's been uh, in charge of our radio broadcast operations for our stations, uh, in charge of uh, making sure that folks can get their um, things set up right. He's been doing that for dozens of years. He's been on the air on some of our AccuWeather stations for dozens of years. And for dozens of years, including when I used to live with him back in the early days, a master gardener. I mean, Brian's one of the people I learned a lot from. And Brian continues to work in gardening uh, with a separate business here in the State College area, but also now has a podcast that we'll talk about here and uh, some other great information. It's been an amazing time in the garden. I think my garden's just on rocket fuel going from spring into summer. I've got peonies and poppies and starting to get some dahlias and pretty soon the hydrangeas are going to go here in Pennsylvania at least. What's your garden like? What are some things that you need to be thinking about here as we go through the month of June into July? Brian May from AccuWeather joins me with our gardening section here on Everything Under the Sun. Brian, welcome back to the show. It is, uh, here we are. Well, you know, we just are rounding uh, the first couple of weeks of meteorological summer. I think for gardening purposes, I feel like right now I'm in midsummer form because I've got that turnover now from the spring to the summer stuff, uh, everything that I started early pretty much now is all in the ground. After yeah. uh, starting from seed, I've put put some stuff in the ground. Starting to see some nice early results and some things. A couple of the, um, well, I've had some beautiful poppies and peonies right now. are just going uh, crazy in my garden. And uh, starting to see my first dahlias starting to bud and about ready to flower and Uh, The Asiatic lilies look like they're going to explode. It's an interesting and fun time. And my hydrangeas, oh my goodness, uh, Brian, this was last year in the Northeast. We had a weird spring. We had a huge warm up and then like a late freeze. It wouldn't go away. And then it finally came back. So the hydrangeas were a little bit weird. Looks like they are going to get some nice flowers at the beginning and then come up with a second. It's just everything's looking great. Good. I feel like it's September, actually. Really? I because it started early. So it yeah. like, feels uh, like it's late in the season. And May was the strangest month of weather that I ever worked in. It was just 
hot one couple of days and then uh, extremely cold the next weekend. Right. We, right. We, we started out with that cool and <laughs> clammy start to the month and it heated up and we thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. And then we had that awful Memorial Day weekend, yes. which is we just talked about that in the last segment with Jim Fredericks about how <laughs> it kind of stunted the emergence of the cicadas. And yeah. it certainly stunted some of the things in the garden. Uh, I definitely saw a period there where there was about a week or so where things kind of uh, kind of slowed down. But now the heat and humidity building a lot of places and and things are off to the races. So what I wanted to talk to you today about, Brian, is a a couple of things. Um, But one is some things that we need to do this time of year. And for me, I think it's a couple of things. One, it's learning how to water correctly in the heart of summer Mm -hmm. when you've got fluctuations in the amount of moisture you're getting from Mother Nature. When to stake and prop up or maybe some things to do that you don't have to do that. I know some people don't like to because it's an eyesore. I'm more about uh, creating opportunities for seeing you seeing the foliage. So I think it's it's better than that. Um, and then some other things that we should do. I think uh, what we should be feeding stuff now is, a, is another thing. So let's start with the watering. Um, we had George... Ball here from uh, Burpee Seed Company. And, you know, for vegetables, he said, you know, definitely you want to be watering in the mornings, right? Sure. Not, not the evenings. A lot of people with their schedule wait till the evenings water before they go to bed. It's a better shot for most situations this time of year to try to get that drink in the morning. Um, do you want to give it a little second shot in the afternoon? Talk to me about what your thoughts are about that. Sure. Well, with watering, I think maybe what he was referring to was, you know, moisture on the leaves. Um, if you if you water at night, that can cause some mildew problems. Whereas in the morning, it has a chance the the wind and the sun will dry it out a little bit. It evaporated. Can can that water droplet there though cause damage on some of your plants if you water in the morning and it's there as a prism? with the sun coming into it and can it cause some leaf damage if it doesn't want to evaporate uh, as quickly? No, not really. I mean, it has a chance to, if it's depending on the time that you do it. I mean, if you do it when the sun's already feeling really hot, then that's kind of a problem. But if you're doing it in the morning, like I think he was referring to, right. that's a better. Right. Better so you don't, you don't want to wait till the sun's established right. and, and, and on a, on a totally sunny day, you don't want to be watering middle right. of the day because you can actually do a couple of things, shock your plant uh, and then also cause some damage uh, to the leaves. The other aspect that I think it's hard to teach people who are kind of not as experienced is it doesn't, it's not frequency. It's about depth of watering and, and, and getting a good soaking uh, intermittently. Plants actually like a cycle where they're wet for a while and then they dry out and then they get wet again. They don't, necessarily like to be all wet all the time or all dry all the time, right? Right. In general, um, most plants, whether it's outdoor plants or an indoor house plant, they want to dry out. A good general rule of thumb is to let it dry out. If you stick your your two fingers in the soil, you should be able to pick up some soil and rub it between your your fingers, it should be kind of crumbly. And then it's time to water because that's dried out. But if you if it's really moist all the time, that can cause root rot. And generally, yes, plants do not like to um, be 
thoroughly wet all the time. They do like to dry out in the garden as well. And a good general rule of thumb is one to two inches of water per week. Now, how but, do I measure that if if I don't if I don't understand like as a meteorologist, I kind of have a feeling about how much that is and sure. terms of rain gauge, but soil moisture sensors are becoming a dime a dozen. They're cheap and they're easy to get. I mean, sure. is that at this point when we're in 2021, we have the technology? Is that something to invest in so we can kind of keep an eye on it rather than trusting our, our senses on that kind mm-hmm. of thing? Sure. I think that's a good option. Um, anything that gives you that information is is worth having. You know, for me, I I alternate gardens. I have about 16 flower beds around my house. I mean, I, I don't water them each one every day. I'll, I'll do a couple one day, a couple the next. So you just kind of have to judge. I would, I would say daily watering is, is not a good thing for any garden. Now heat sometimes plays a factor. If we're going through really hot hundred degree weather spells, then you definitely want to keep a better eye on the soil. Right. And, we'll and we're talking about a spell of two or three days, you know, one yeah. day is not going to problem. And then the other thing is, you know, there are some, I know my, my hydrangeas are in a spot where they get the full morning sun. And so on those days, midsummer where it's, it's really searing and they can start wilting and drooping a little bit. Yeah. So, so maybe, uh, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of those kinds of plants that we, see where they'll say full sun or partial shade. Yeah. I think you have to really try to give credence to maybe giving that partial shade in the afternoon with maybe planting cool. it near something that the sun angle will give, you know, you don't have to create shade artificially. You can uh, think about where the shade's going to be in the afternoon and plant accordingly, those kinds of things. Sure. Or some plants you can give shade by planting them next to a taller perennial, you know, just just depends on each individual garden. We talk about watering. We've talked about, uh, let's talk about fertilizing a little bit. You know, obviously we always uh, tend to fertilize when we plant. We, you know, not only use extra fertilizer on top of it, but the the potting mixes that we buy have a ton of fertilizer. Is that something that I can get by with without adding anything, or do I need to continue to fertilize as we go through the growing season? And if if so, how often should we be doing that? For me, I feel that the fertilizing should happen when you're first putting a plant in the ground. Um, at that point, using compo- compost and whatever soil you're adding to it, you know, around the plant. And I, I feel that once a, once a year for fertilizer is plenty. If you're adding, whether it's manure or compost to your soil, do that once a year. That should be plenty enough. But keep your eye on the plants and see how they're doing and go from there. There are certain plants, though, that do take a little extra. I think what roses tend to take sure. that water soluble fertilizer and uh, yeah. some of those some of those real hard flowering plants like a little bit of extra. And, and I think that's just the easiness now of just either mixing it and adding it to the water or that kind of stuff is pretty easy to do right now. Yeah, well, the roses are always a tricky thing anyway they're they're very particular so you just have to keep your eye on them and you have to nurse things along you know to give them some tlc all the time we're talking with brian may our resident uh, gardening expert who brian now has a podcast it's called fresh (laughs) 
clippings. This past week is episode five, gardening in small. This is me, gardening in small spaces, vegetable chores, and hydrangea. This yeah. is this is this is my thing right here. So dedicated uh, to you. <laughs> what, what are what are the because t- my garden, folks, is just I have a, a we live in a my partner and I live in a duplex, and so we just have the plantings around our house. But did you see my peonies? Did I show you those? The, the, I don't think you showed them. I need to show those the pink ones and then the, the yellow Ito ones were just yeah. amazing. But yeah, this uh, fresh clippings. Uh, you can go to podbean.com and look up Fresh Clippings podcast. So um, let's talk about vegetable chores. What are some vegetable well, chores we should be doing right now? Sure. So right now you're kind of coming out of the early spring harvest, like your lettuce. You want to get that out of the ground before you want to harvest that before the the heat comes on. Keep up with weeding. My my episode that I just produced this week talks a lot about weeding, the difficult conversation that we have to have about weeding in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one one thing really we need to look out for right now in vegetable gardens and perennial gardens is the arrival of the Japanese beetle. I talk a little bit about that, about how um, they just can rip your garden to shreds. Literally, that's something you want to keep your eye on right now. Yeah, I also think this time of year, um, you start have to think about cutting back some of the things that, you know, were early bloomers and sure. are not going to. And speaking of that difficult conversation, I had to have it with uh, with with Joel because you know we've been trying to grow these Oriental poppies for years. Finally, this year, I think. 80% of our poppy plants finally produced at least one or two, right? Good, good. But but we're going to have to cut them back. I mean, a couple of them that are big are flopping over and and Ooh. they're starting to so so they need to be cut back and and you know, you just that's kind of and you know, antithetical yeah. to what you've done growing this big thing and now you you yeah. tell me you want me to cut it back, but that that's well, a hard like weeding, it's a hard conversation sometimes to have with yourself. That's a, th- a tip that I always get to on my podcast. I I give people ideas on I I'm just use this as an example, Asiatic lilies. I see people purchasing them. You know, I wonder where they're going to put them because they look gorgeous while they're blooming, but once they're done blooming, you're left with just a spike. And if you're not putting that next to something tall right. around your hydrangea or sedum in front of it or something, you're just going to be left with a weird kind of stick. Yeah. For the, for my Asiatic lilies, I, I let them go for a couple of weeks past the uh, past when they flower, but there's a point just like the, the, you know, the, the, the tulips and stuff I do yeah. start cutting them back, but uh, yeah, no, it's always been said that you're supposed to really leave those, let the, uh, the stems go for the nurturing of the bulb, but you can cover them with mulch or yep. hide them behind something else or, or something. But yeah, I think that that idea of learning how to plant with things next to each other. So yeah. the poppies are early yeah. and the, and then the peonies are also early. And then I've got stuff around them. Like, uh, yeah. you know, the growing of the, the, the guard mums now, the high, the hardy mums, which will be late season and yeah. all kinds of other stuff in there. So good. Yeah, stuff. So those, those are the things I, I talk about on my podcast because I have, um, I have a lot of clients that are, um, you know, they want pretty gardens and beautiful things, but they don't know how to achieve that and they don't enjoy doing it. So that's who I, 
work for, but I also on my podcast, I just like to give easy to follow ideas or little tips that can help the novice along. Well, and I'm cool. no expert. I want to make that clear. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody that always tells me they're not an expert in something, that means they uh, probably know a lot more than they give themselves credit for. Well, I have a lot of experience in the garden, but, um, you know, I, sh- I, sh- I shy away from calling myself an expert. So, All right. So uh, make sure that you're watering and trying to learn the frequency of what you need to water. Maybe pay attention to that soil moisture level, maybe learn about it. Um, I think sometimes, you know, just getting that sensor and kind of testing it out and, 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 you know, that you'll find your sensibilities may be a little bit different than reality. We, we sometimes find that. And think about, everyone should think about where their garden is in terms of how much sun it gets. There are so many factors that affect how much water it actually needs. I mean, you really have to just look at each plant and make the determination from there. How porous the soil is, how easily it yeah. drains, right? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and I mean, even in my short area, I've got, uh, you know, one area that just does not drain clay soil, just, you know, you kind of yeah. give up on those areas and other things. Great <laughs> stuff. Again, the podcast is Fresh Clippings. Uh, Brian uh, has dropped episode five already and he's working on episode six. You can get that at podbean.com. You know, we were talking in that last segment about the cicadas. I know we're kind of waiting for them here where we are in central Pennsylvania. Jim talked a little bit about (laughs) pest stuff other than Japanese beetles, some other things that we might look at pest wise here in the next couple of weeks. Make sure that we're keeping on top of that. Don't let any problems sneak up on us in terms of pests in the garden. Well, I encourage everyone to kind of do some research on good bugs versus bad bugs because Mm -hmm. there is a huge difference in the garden. And there are a lot of ways to attract the good bugs that will eliminate your bad bugs. So that's, I'm going to talk about that in an upcoming podcast as well. So, well, um, we maybe will talk about that in an upcoming visit. Brian, it's always great to be with you, my friend. And Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for helping us in the garden here as we Mm -hmm. roll through summer. All right. Good luck, everyone. Thank you. Again, one more time for information about how to get on Brian's podcast. Again, you go to podbean.com. The name of his podcast, Fresh Clippings, the most recently produced episode, episode five, gardening in small spaces, vegetable chores, hydrangeas. Of course, he previewed that episode six that should be dropping too. So join Brian May on Fresh Clippings and join Brian here. He'll be back with us uh, throughout the summer and into the fall as we transition our garden from summer to fall. Wow, what a turnaround in the Northeast and the Great Lakes after some chilly weather. Then it's a, been a hot few days, and now we're getting cooler again. Meanwhile, the heat builds in and the dryness southwest. What does the weekend and the week ahead look like weather-wise? Brandon Buckingham, one of our AccuWeather meteorologists, joins me next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by NHTSA. Leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Look for your baby before you lock. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast from AccuWeather.com. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, episode number two of our summer series here on Everything Under the Sun. 
Already had a busy episode. We talked cicadas and pests and other insects for summer in the front end with Jim Fredericks. And then we just got out of the garden with Brian May. And now it's time for our final segment, which we do every week on Everything Under the Sun. It's called our weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond. Um, one of our younger forecasters at AccuWeather, who's uh, been around now for three, four, five, three, four, five years right now. Is that how long it has been, Brandon Buckingham already? How long? Uh, just over three years now. Yeah, yep. I, yeah. Uh, he's getting a little long in the tooth for us here at AccuWeather. But <laughs> Brandon Buckingham joins us. Uh, Brandon was with us, uh, I think, last year's spring, uh, if I remember, because I think we were talking fishing. Brandon is our Grizzly Adams of the office. Uh, well, he and Dave Dombeck are the two big outdoorsmen. Brandon's a big fisherman. Brandon has uh, been gotten in the disc golf bug. I think I helped get him uh, caught onto that when he came here to state college. And he's been, uh, we've been known to throw some discs together and um, spends a lot of time outdoors. And so this is Brandon's time. Brandon, welcome to Everything Under the Sun as we take a look at the weather for this week and the week beyond. First of all, I've been a little disappointed. I thought by now here where we live in central Pennsylvania, I know you spent a lot of time in the garden and stuff that we'd be seeing and hearing some of these cicadas. It really looks like we talked about uh, that that real cool batch uh, over Memorial Day and that chilly weather kind of slowed things down. Uh, but uh, I think pretty soon you and I, uh, when we're out in the disc golf course, we might be hearing that song here soon in central PA. Yeah, I was kind of surprised over the last few days uh, with the heat and humidity building up that uh, you didn't hear them ringing in the background. But This has been an, an amazing late spring, early summer already, especially uh, the fluctuations that we've seen. You know, we went from an awful Memorial Day weekend, right? Just, uh, you know, especially in the Northeast, the, the Midwest and the Great Lakes kind of perked up a little bit, but one of the chilliest and roughest and awfulest Memorial Day weekends that I ever remember. Then we just kind of surged right back into summer in those places with heat and humidity that were rivaling things that we'd see in July and August. And now we're kind of settling back. Of, you know, we call it a backdoor front because most frontal boundaries and, and the, and the per, weather progresses from west to east across the United States. But when things come at you from a different direction and this front's coming in, I'd actually call it an attic front, not a backdoor front. It's coming in from the top, right? It's kind of pushing down this cooler, drier air that we've been seeing as we've started into the weekend, but it's setting up some boundaries going to make for an interesting forecast, certainly not the awfulness of Memorial Day weekend in the Great Lakes in the Northeast. Well, and let's talk about the Northeast because the Great Lakes stay pretty warm, but the Northeast, not the awfulest, not the hottest, somewhere in between, and maybe a little bit unsettled, I think is the early call. Brandon, would you agree for this upcoming weekend? As you had mentioned, I mean, how we've kind of been on a roller coaster ride uh, to end spring and start summer out here with a, you know, a very cold Memorial weekend and then a, a very warm weekend last weekend. So we're kind of flattened things out in a sense, temperature-wise, uh, this weekend with a little bit, uh, I mean, a little closer to seasonable averages with uh, more widespread 70s rather than 80s and 90s like we've been experiencing in in recent days. So personally, I'm a fan of that. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> a... <laughs> you, you don't like it hot and sweaty, right? Some no, people it's... do. I mean, there are we have people in our and and you know that's a, that's a thing. I mean this this is the thing that kind of. Um, makes weather so a lot like sports because there's a lot of debate. I mean, there are people that just love the the stifling heat and humidity. They like that a lot better from cool and cold. 
I'm the opposite. As I've gotten older, I like uh, I like the dry. Um, warm is okay, but you know you have to go down to the southwest a lot of times to get that intense dry heat that uh, we talk about all the time. So yeah, it's it's really an intense personal thing. But you know, to me, Brandon, I think the biggest thing is just how quickly things changed and change, and then that tells me that the models past three or four days right now are good for guidance in general. But if you really want to hone in, I think we're in, especially Northeast and Great Lakes, we're in a, a pattern that's very progressive. So we're going to get kind of like a, a wave. You know, you're going to get two or three days in that upper echelon of warm, humid, summery weather. Then it's going to kind of come down, get cooler, unsettled. We're going to be in a cool, unsettled pattern, the bottom of that wave for a while. And then it's going to kind of come back up and it's going to be three or four days in each kind of zone for a while. And it's going to be trying to figure out for you and for us when those nicest days are and when the down days are. I think we're going to have a little bit of both in those areas. Agree with that? Yeah, exactly. And, and like you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of looking forward into early to, to middle of the week next week, that may be a kind of sliding towards that uh, downward trend, like you had mentioned, some of the, uh, lack of a better term, cooler air, a little more seasonable air, um, along with those chances of still a few showers and thunderstorms, you know, early to midweek next week across the Northeast, uh, prior to potentially things warming up briefly. It's a it's a bit of a roller coaster ride here as we're entering, uh, you know, the the middle stretch of June. Certainly, we need to keep an eye on who's going to have a wet weekend and who's not. I'll tell you who's not, and that's the middle of the country. I mean, this drought that we're seeing in a lot of the places, Midwest and Upper Plains, really baked in. Who's going to be wet? Well, there's going to be a zone, and and one of the zones, and we're seeing it as we enter the weekend, is that mid-Atlantic areas back away from the coast, D.C. and back into the Virginias, Carolinas to the south, and then really the southeast down to the Gulf Coast really has showers and thunderstorms. A lot of the weekend looks like uh, central southern Florida is dry. The western Gulf is dry. And of course, all that dry heat in the middle of the country. And it's dry all the way then to the west coast. The Pacific Northwest has some showers, but we're seeing a lot of dry areas in this country. And those continue to build um, like a place like uh, Chicago still in the extreme drought, and they're not going to get out of it here. There's just no organized ways to bring precipitation here over the next several days. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to watch. Again, the building heat uh, from the southwest, you know, expanding through the Rocky Mountains, through a majority of the plains um, late this weekend and early next week. Again, it looks like another stretch of uh, potentially record-challenging highs um, across the central and northern plains once again. I mean, they've already dealt with... Uh, you know, less than a week or so ago, triple digit heat in, in a lot of cities across the plains. And it looks like they're, we're setting up for another round of that. And, you know, it'll kind of come in waves, but farther east of there across the Midwest, those, those glancing blows of borderline extreme heat. Yeah, and then the other thing we need to keep an eye on is the tropics after getting off to that fast start, even before the, uh, in the Atlantic Basin before the, the season actually officially began. We've been quiet, but the models keep hinting that something wants to develop in the Gulf. They were trying to put something in the Eastern Gulf towards the end of the weekend, early next week. And now the Western Gulf may have something. I think we have to keep an eye on that area around the Yucatan here as we go through the weekend and into, into next week. I think it could get very busy. That's normal place for this time of year for things to spawn up uh, either near the uh, that uh, peninsula or in the southwestern Gulf. So I, I think that's an area for next week we got to keep a big eye on. Especially for uh, residents along the western Gulf Coast. It's, uh, you know, in those flood-weary areas of Texas and Louisiana. It's, you know, there's still a lot of question marks in the modeling and, and where 
well, if, when, and where the system, you know, may form and then track. But yeah, for those areas, uh, Texas, Louisiana, a, a lot of the southern states dealing with uh, saturated soils. So early season tropical threat is is not what they would uh, like to see down there. And it doesn't even have to be a named organized system. It can just become a tropical wave and come in there and create problems because of all the moisture that they've had. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, you know, we spent some time in the previous segment with Brian May from AccuWeather uh, talking about garden stuff. I know you're a, a gardener and things going well in your stuff here in this early growing season. This increased heat, humidity, and uh, and rainfall the past few weeks definitely has uh, helped to green things up. I can tell you though that the bugs are starting to become a bit of an issue yeah. though now with uh, with that moisture coming up. There's uh, yeah a number of beetles and other pests to deal with. So yeah, we talked about that in our first segment, but yeah, I was uh, camping this past weekend, and it seemed to me awfully early to start getting bitten as much as I was getting bitten uh, mm-hmm. out in the evenings and stuff. Well, Brandon, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for being with us. I think uh, an interesting week ahead. Again, the highlights for this weekend in the Northeast: uh, cooler, somewhat unsettled. Although I think coastal areas may stay dry on Saturday. Maybe some showers, thunderstorms Sunday. Uh, those mid-Atlantic states and down to the southeast, pretty wet, warm and dry in the middle of the country, and then dry and temperate in the west with that cooler weather in the Pacific Northwest and some showers. Certainly, as you go through the weather for the week and the week beyond, stay tuned to AccuWeather.com, and we'll keep you up to date, keeping you weatherproof with your life on the app and through our network and all our great media partners. Brandon, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, that'll do it for this busy broadcast here this week. I'm just uh, amazing. I just saw a story as I'm putting this together this week that uh, Cicada was blamed for a fatality in an automobile situation. A Cicada flew in the window of a car in Cincinnati and caused a fatality. So I think we'll hear more about that in the news. Again, thanks to Jim Fredericks for joining us in that opening segment. And again, if you like even more information about Cicadas, you can go back to our 10th episode of the Spring Series back on May 14th. And Jim's even has more in depth about cicadas in general. Thanks to Brian May about the gardening tips. And thanks again to Brandon Buckingham, one of our hundreds of AccuWeather team members that work so hard every day to weatherproof your life. Friends, coming up next week, episode three, we're going to get ready for National Lightning Awareness Week. We've got a special interview with one of the members of the National Lightning Safety Council and the first lightning fatality of 2021 just reported in New Jersey in the last week or so. So a very uh, important subject that we need to talk about here for the next couple of weeks as showers and thunderstorms begin to continue to erupt in many places. For our executive producers who work so hard behind the scenes putting this podcast together, Andrew Robb and Ken Prell, and for those hundreds of AccuWeather team members across the world weatherproofing your life every day, I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thank you for joining me. We'll talk to you next week, Episode 3 of our summer series, Everything Under the Sun, from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. <laughs>